Welcome to episode 14 of Achieving Fitness, where we answer all of your burning questions on all things health, fitness, and business. We're your hosts, Lauren and Jason Pack, and we're on a mission to bring inclusivity and positive vibes to the fitness space. Today, we'll be covering the best training shoes, how to train around a shoulder injury, and how to optimize your time in the gym. We hope you're excited. Let's get into the show. All right, episode 14. Episode 14. Uh, we got a lot of good questions today, and we were just talking about how it used to be like the first two to, or like one to five episodes, I would say. We pretty much included questions from either our my parents or my family or my friend, <laughs> or our friends, <laughs> um, which now we no longer have to rely on, but we actually did get a really good question right before this from my aunt down in Florida. Um, so I feel like we should kick off with maybe that as yeah, a bonus question. It. All right. So she actually texted me. She said... Um, or she asked, is foam rolling supposed to hurt? When I roll my quads, I cringe. Does it eventually lighten up? Can you do harm if you're rolling and it hurts? Thanks, kissy face. We're <laughs> 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 family. Um, so this is a really good question, actually. And there definitely is, uh, I think a few episodes back, we talked about the distinction between pain and discomfort and trying to understand the difference between those two things. For most people, foam rolling is going to be a little bit uncomfortable, um, but we don't want it to cause pain. And something that actually happens when people feel pain with foam rolling is they tense up. Usually when you feel pain, you end up tensing up your body. And then that tension is exactly what we're trying to eliminate from your muscles by foam rolling. So it actually ends up being counterproductive if you have a ton of pain with foam rolling. Um, so instead what we would recommend is you still want to loosen up the muscles and you still want to release some tension. So uh, one, one option would be to take a little bit of weight off in whatever way you can. So if right now you're rolling your quads and you're putting all your weight down on both legs, you can try um, scooting over to one side and having one leg planted on the ground and just rolling one quad at a time. And you can kind of take a little pressure off of that quad you're rolling with that other leg. Um, another thing you could do is just get a lighter foam roller. So the like we have the Perform Better um, like really kind of hard black foam rollers, um, but there are some other colors that they come in that are actually a little bit softer. They get softer and softer. I think the white ones are the softest. Um, so you can get a lighter foam roller, or you can use the um, sticks, like the rolly sticks that you'll see maybe a lot of runners have for their calves and stuff, but you can actually get your quads and IT band with those as well. Yeah, it's actually called the stick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there's other other various forms. There's like the tiger tail, and there's a couple other ones, but um, they, they all accomplish essentially the same thing. Um, there's a whole bunch of like... Foam rolling was initially thought to sort of break up adhesions and kind of break up any sort of maybe tar scar tissue that's going on. And sort of evidence has shown that that's not exactly what's happening. And people that are very evidence-based kind of jumped on that and said, okay, then foam rolling is useless. <laughs> um, but we will say that anecdotally with our gym of 200 plus members, it is this, whatever is the mechanism behind it doesn't really matter as much as that it's clearly creating a positive benefit in terms of people's mobility as well as their recovery times. And we think that foam rolling and any sort of like lacrosse ball massaging or stick rolling has proven to be very beneficial, especially for the like time investment. Like it takes a few minutes, right, to right. do it right before. So you might as well. Yeah. 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 So hopefully that helps. And if you're having any foam rolling issues, hopefully... 
those give you that gives you a few options. Yeah. Cool. All right. So now we'll get into the official next the question. Real questions. Although that was real. That was a real thank question. You. That was a great question. So thank you, Auntie K. Um, all right. So the first one, uh, actually, this is from two different people, but a very similar question. So we'll combine them. So uh, the first one is from. Hala Tirani, and they asked, can you please introduce good training shoes? I've been looking to buy one, but the popular brands like Nike and others have so many that are confusing. What type of shoes are suitable for training specifically, not necessarily running? And JJ626Diaz said, thoughts on footwear for working out in minimalist shoes slash barefoot, etc. Necessary or not a big deal? All right. So talking shoes, um, basically it kind of got comes down to where you're starting from and what you're trying to accomplish at the gym. Um, we really like minimalist-based shoes. Um, barefoot is great as well, or working out in socks, um, because it really allows you to feel the floor and really push into the floor during exercises like squats or deadlifts or lunges. Your foot has a lot of um, sensory input, and if you cloud it with a thick sock and a thick shoe, it has... Um, a much tougher time stabilizing your body. We want the, the most amount of stability possible throughout your movements, so we prefer more minimalist-type training, uh, minimalist-type shoes. Um, I would say if you're starting off with a, um, let's say, like a very big motion control shoe, like a, like a Brooks Beast or something that controls uh, overpronation, um, I would probably recommend just sizing it down just a little bit. Um, a couple shoes that we like are the strike movements, um, we like Nike Metcons, Nobles. Those are a very solid, uh, minimalist-based shoe. And then from there, we like to work our way down into shoes that are even more minimal, like a Vivo Barefoot or like a Vibram Five Finger or even going with uh, pedestal footwear socks or Barefoot as well. Um, anything that kind of like minimizes that sort of uh, sole is, is what we're looking for. Yeah, I actually, um, I, I don't remember who said this or if I just made it up in my head. I'm not sure. Um, but I remember either thinking of it or hearing that, um, uh, and it, uh, it applied to me because I like to do handstands, is that if you ever asked a gymnast to like put a shoe on their hands and try to do a handstand, it would be nearly impossible. Yeah. Like, or to have like an unstable surface makes it so much harder or a, a cushiony surface. Um, and the same thing applies to your feet. We just are so programmed to be in shoes that we actually don't even realize that we're losing so much stability by being in those shoes yeah um so if you think about it that way it kind of makes a lot of sense that like yeah of course you wouldn't want to go on your hands with big blocks on your hands and you really don't want to do that with your feet either <laughs> unless you're um doing something that's more impact and neither of them asked about running um running is kind of a different story it also depends on your gait pattern and there's a lot of other things that go into totally. a running shoe but for a training shoe we really do recommend going as minimalist as you can um the ones that jason mentioned are great um chuck taylor's are good too just because they're flat yeah um so there's no arch support or anything like that so you still kind of feel that you're pushing down into the a flat surface yeah super common with power lifters yeah um so yeah i would say level one if you're just looking into getting into minimalist footwear look into strike movement look into chuck taylor's look at vans um those sort of flat based training shoes and then if you want to take it a step further we'd recommend a vivo bare, barefoot or pedestal footwear socks yeah Cool. Hope cool. that helps. All right. That's question number one. Question number two is from Santa Maylar. Uh, they asked what to do when you've had a supraspinatus tendon rupture. Not a big one. A small one, luckily, happened during push-ups. 
So just just a tiny supraspinatus tendon rupture. Just a minor, <laughs> minor rupture. Um, I, you know, we, we can't speak to this exact diagnosis. Uh, we definitely recommend seeing, first of all, a doctor and then also a physical therapist to go ahead and uh, treat you up and make sure that you're out of pain. Um, once your doctor or physical therapist clears you to do activities at the gym, really becomes this sort of common sense like activity. It's, does this hurt? If it does, let's avoid it. If it doesn't, proceed with caution sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what we typically do when we work with physical, well, <laughs> when we work with physical therapists or other sort of clinicians um, with people that have shoulder pain, we try to keep their arms by their side as much as possible. And this puts them in a really non-provocative position. The closer you to raise your arms overhead, the more likely you're going to irritate things like your rotator cuff and any of the other passive shoulder ligaments that you have going on. Um, So we definitely recommend exercises like farmer carries, deadlifts, anything where you're holding your arms by your side. And then from there, after a couple weeks and our physical therapist kind of gives us the okay, we start to proceed more towards having their arms more at a parallel to the floor angle if they were standing. So things like a plank or a push-up or a TRX row, things of that variation. And then after that, probably after a couple months, then we'd start progressing into more overhead type of movements, maybe an incline bench press and maybe an overhead military press of some sort. So we very slowly work our way up towards this overhead position, which is going to be the most compromising and provocative position if you have any sort of shoulder pain or rotator cuff irritation going on. But again, step one, make sure you see some sort of medical professional to clear you on this stuff because we don't want you to step into the gym and then set yourself back in terms of the recovery process. Yeah, definitely take it slow. With injuries like this, you want to make sure you're really doing your rehab and doing, there's going to be probably a lot of little movements that you need to do that are either unloaded or with just like TheraBand or minibands, like doing some rotator cuff strengthening exercises. So make sure that your main focus is on rehab at first. And then after that, when you're still working, you want to still work, you know, work yourself hard and get a good workout in things where your arms are by your side so you can even and you can do lunges with dumbbells by your sides and you can do yeah deadlifts (laughs) with your arms by your sides um so you're not too limited um but you still again even even when your arms are by your sides make sure that your shoulders are in a good position that you're not rounding forward that your posture is nice and tall um and just start to be more aware of where your shoulders are in space and in general um making sure that if you're doing a rowing exercise once you've progressed a little bit that you're really pulling your shoulders back um, as opposed to letting that the front of the shoulder roll forward as you row. Um, so those are all considerations that you want to just be very aware of now, especially because it happened during push-ups. Um, maybe have somebody take a look at what, what your push-ups look like and see if there's something going on where your shoulders are getting into a weird position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Actually, the other thing that reminds me, speaking of rowing, um, before we go, so let's say we go into more of a arms parallel to the floor situation before we go into a push-up we'll go into more of a horizontal pull pattern Mm -hmm. um, just to work on those stabilizing muscles back in the shoulders a little bit more and then same thing before we go fully overhead in a pressing pattern we'll go with a vertical pulling pattern and that might be a pull down with bands or a cable or um, an actual bodyweight pull-up situation uh, before we go into actual pressing just helps to set a good foundation before going into a more provocative activity yeah Cool. All right, cool. Um, moving on to number three. So this is the last question of the day. This is by 3 by Z mom. Uh, <laughs> she said, best use of time when training a client in 30-minute sessions two times a week. Awesome question because and this, this can apply for coaches who are training clients 
twice a week for 30 minutes or for people who only have two 30-minute you know, uh, time slots available for themselves to work out during a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is going to basically come down to picking basically how to optimize your time and picking movements that are going to have the greatest overall effect um, on your body to stimulate the most results in the shortest amount of time. So the number one thing to think about during these sessions is trying to include as many compound movements as possible. And a compound movement is basically a total body exercise, something that's using multiple um, multiple muscle joints, groups. muscle groups, everything like that. So examples are uh, squats where you're holding weights in your hands or lunges or push-ups or bench press or pull-ups, um, all of those deadlifts, all of those are, are good compound movements that utilize a whole bunch of muscles so that you're working out multiple things at once as opposed to doing something like a seated leg raise or a, um, a bicep curl or a shoulder raise where you're just working very small muscles at a time because you have such a limited amount of time. Those exercises are really only good for the end of and maybe an hour-long workout if you have a little extra time. Yeah, and if you have extra days to work out. So, I mean, if someone's working out twice a week, isolation exercises are very few and far between in our programming. Um, The only things that we can kind of think of in that regard are probably just isolated core work, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, But, yeah, two times a week, you you have to hit those those big compound movements. Um, And also kind of just depends on where they're also starting from as well. Um, If they are very beginner uh, of a client, then you might need to go... 20 minutes of just pure warming up and stretching and mobilizing and then the last 10 minutes is a compound exercise um, kind of circuit um, if they're very advanced maybe it could be a five minute mobility program and then more of a 25 minute strength regimen yeah. um, it's kind of playing around with it there but the big rocks are just always compound exercises yeah so hit a deadlift variation a squat variation a lunge variation all for the lower body and then hit a, an upper body pushing variation pulling variation so maybe yep. a pull-up or an assisted pull-up um, or a pull down with a band or with the cable machine and then a chest press or a push-up something like that because um, if you think about it a push-up isn't just an upper body exercise like when you do a push-up you have to get your abs engaged you have to squeeze your glutes there's a lot of like a lot of muscles have to activate and and really turn on in order to do them well whereas something like a bicep curl like you pretty much just have to use one muscle um so any exercise where you realize that you are using multiple things going on at once is what we we would consider a compound movement yeah um if you're hearing a low level hum going on it's because the the laundry is actually going on as we're podcasting right now multitasking (laughs) (laughs) so yeah our podcast studio studio in quotations is directly in our kitchen (laughs) yep (laughs) actually our dining room table is a podcast station i don't think we've ever even eaten at our table never eaten at our table (laughs) there's you know priorities a lot of coffee drank on the table though that's true that's true um all right those are all of our questions for today that was pretty quick one but i think we jammed a lot into one quick little session yeah yeah um yeah, so it, this Friday night is going to be our anniversary party, our five-year anniversary. I think Yay. we briefly mentioned it last week. So we're super excited. We're definitely um, doing a lot in preparation for that, but uh, we're very excited about it. It's going to be really <laughs> fun. It's going to be really fun. We're going to have um, a bunch of our founding members there who have helped us kind of get things going five years ago, which is crazy to think about that they're still uh, they're still members and still kind of keeping us moving forward. And they were really there from the beginning. So it's going to be cool to have them all there. And Super yeah, cool. it's going to be really fun to celebrate everybody. Yeah. All right. So that about wraps it up. Um, if you have any other podcast related questions, we would definitely 
um, recommend reaching out to us via podcast at AchieveFitnessBoston.com or you can DM us through Instagram at AchieveFitnessBoston is our handle. Um, we'd also really appreciate if you could send us a re- write us a review on iTunes um, and rate us as well. We'd really appreciate it. It would help us out a lot. Um, and that wraps things up. Yeah. So until next time. Peace. Love. And muscles. muscles.